So here we go. It's on your screens and it's on your handouts. There's extra handouts right here if you need one. There's about 15 left. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're over the halfway mark with this first word. Submit yourselves. We should, oh yeah, we got it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. I'm going to read the whole thing. Then I'll make comments. Slaves. He goes on. So he takes... These exiles who are the elect of God, so rejected by culture, accepted and chosen by God. He's like, this is how you're to operate in the midst of the empire, where you have no rights and privileges. Submit. We'll unpack more of those implications. Now he's shifting to another power structure and dynamic of his day, which was between masters and slaves. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves, there's the word again, the S word, to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This passage right here. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his Wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm going to keep going because there's no chapter and verses, by the way. This is a full letter that the church would have gotten and read to, you know. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. And we all said, thanks be to God. So I wanted to do this whole section Take a deep breath. Chatty's not going to exegete every line and every word, but it's all one thought. Submit. The transforming and subversive power of submission. It's the next slide. The transforming and the subversive power of submission. What Peter does like a surgeon to the exiled but elect Chosen, cherished, royal, holy, priestly, peculiar people who belong, they're God's possession. What he just did was he said, okay, when you came to Christ, you became brand new. You came under a new Lord, a new master. You're a slave of his righteousness. We'll get there in a few seconds. But there's still dynamics of power and structure and the way things are and run in culture where you're going to bump up against different power dynamics. Amen. How many know that still exists for us? And like a master surgeon, he names it. He speaks the truth of who they are in Christ. He gives them a blueprint and a road to walk on, to flourish in whatever structure they find themselves in. And he subverts all of those things, as we'll unpack here in about 30, 45 seconds. Each one of these, the government, emperor, slaves and masters, wives with unbelieving husbands and husbands and wives. And he just, like, like a, like, so you have to understand, the church is meeting, it's scattered, they're no doubt meeting in houses feeling the pressure of surrounding culture. And imagine in a church, there is a, a woman who's come to faith. Her husband's promiscuous because in Rome, it wasn't really a high value to be faithful to one woman if you're a man. She's a believer and like she's hearing the, the pastor teach about new identity and like, what am I supposed to do? My belief, my, this, is so, this is why Peter's, he's a pastor. He's writing to believers who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And imagine like her raising her hand in the corner like, it's super hard. He's promiscuous. He's abusive. He's like using his power over me like every other man in Roman culture basically thought they had the right to do. What am I supposed to do? And Peter's like, here's the strategy. I got goosebumps. In the same way, slavery, we're going to get there in a few seconds. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm a brand new believer. and it's Traditionally, the slave would just follow the faith or worship the gods and idols of their master, but this slave came to faith. Now they're like, oh, this is really awkward because now I'm under a new master, but I still have a master. What am I supposed to do? Right? Imagine you're a business person and you came to faith and the Jesus 
is the Messiah. He's the king. He's the Lord. And Caesar is not. But for, in order for you to get ahead and to continue your business, you have to pass the cult Caesar worship offering. And you're getting pressure from your guild and from the, the, the artists and the craft that you, you, you're a business person. And so there's all these complex issues. Like if I do that, am I coming out of like alignment and allegiance to Jesus alone, you see it's real life people who are like, gosh, Jesus is Lord. That has to have implications for all of my life. I'm confused. Has anyone ever been confused in the 21st century of what the Lordship of Jesus means for your life? And the complexities of your work dynamic, of your family dynamic, of your relationships, your friendships, how you steward your time, treasure, and talent. Guess what? Believers have wanted to know the implications of Christ and his gospel for thousands of years. And that's what Pastor Peter's doing. He's helping the church to give them understanding of how to move forward in the midst of the different power dynamics and structures of their day. Say amen so I can move on. And here's the thing. It's about submission, submission, submission. I joked, you know, six weeks ago, I preached a message on the very previous two verses where Peter's like, abstain, abstain, abstain. And it's so funny. Like, Peter must have known, like, our two favorite words in the 21st century are abstain and submit. Where the greatest cultural good and value is self-expression and self-autonomy and be me and do what I want, abstain. And where everyone's leery of authority structures and government and people have, you know, two-face and double agenda, submit. How many know either we change the word and we call the shots or we say, okay, Lord, let your word cut me open like a sharp sword. I want to participate in the kingdom of God, but I need help. How many would say I need help? Abstain and submit are two favorite things to do as believers. But I love this, and I want you to get this. And in, in, in every real sense, this is the whole point of the talk. Why do we submit in each of these cases? Listen, because you'll get stuck in the weeds. Do I really need to submit? What about that governor, that politician, or that boss, or that colleague at work? Or we'll just nuance and try to nitpick, and we'll never get around to obeying. Here's why we submit. Next slide. For the Lord's sake. Did you know when you became a believer, the banner of your life was for his glory? And if you give yourself to that quest, it will be for your good. Maybe not your temporary get ahead, cut corners, cheat, lie, steal, climb the corporate ladder. Maybe not in the, the front run, but I'm talking like for billions of years. If you give your life for his glory, it will be for your eternal good. Amen. And so Peter, like, unless like, cause you, you know, because people are people. I guarantee some wife or some husband or some, some slave or some, someone in a local church like, Peter, that's harsh. That's not for me. No one has ever disagreed with God's counsel or wisdom in this room, obviously. But I see Pastor Peter with his pastoral prophetic heart. He's like, you have to understand, it's all for him. And it's so funny, you know, as we're rebranding and re you know, sort of relaunching with Radiant Central Coast, you know, I have a trillion one-liners. I'm a, I'm a words guy. I love words. I love phrases. I love alliteration. But the thing that the Lord for weeks have just gripped my heart, I'm not saying this is going to be our phrase, but it's like kind of cool. It's two words for Jesus. Like every prayer, like I'm walking, 
It's like, what do we want to be about? For, it's for Jesus. For Jesus. For Jesus. For Jesus. And Peter just says, and you know, it's like, before I field any of your questions, and, but my boss is really bad, or my husband's a joke, or it's the, the emperor, he's a or the governor, it's like, before you just give me all of your objections, just understand as a believer, the highest call of your life is to realize it's all for the Lord's sake. And it's like this great equalizer, the one who gave everything is worthy of everything. So this is the talk. So first set of submission discerning peace believers and the government <laughs> lock the doors this is going to get hot and i just want to say this that obviously the, the fact that you and i i know we're chuckling and giggling but i want to just say i know it's really cool to hate america by mainstream media what an unbelievable country we get to call home where there are rights and privileges and the ability to, to vote and to protest and to organize. Is she a perfect country? No way. There's not one on the earth. But even as I've been studying this passage about like believers under the emperor's heel, the fact that you and I, yes, we're called to submit because God has ordained government, period. God is a God of order. What's, amen? We just read Romans 13 as well as a corollary. But as I was studying this passage, just realizing how much freedom, and I know, I know there's, a, there's a war, there's a jostle right now in our generation. But can we just think, it's unbelievable to live in this land that people come to this country for a better life. People come to this country because of the free, does that make sense? And so as I'm studying, like, submit for them and submit for us looks wildly different. But there are, there's a common thread that we can pull out and apply and read for them what it means for us today. Number one, Peter just says unapologetically, if you're a believer in the empire, whatever size, structure, overreach, underreach, over-resource, under-resource, whatever style or government, the primary call of the believer in whatever nation or state or region or place they occupy is to live an exemplary life of holiness and goodness. How many know that transcends every culture for all ages, for all eternity? Like as believers, we are to be model and exemplary no matter where you place us. The faster you say amen, the quicker I'm going to bust through these points. So what do I do? What believers then, believers now, live out your confession. Pastor Rick talked about it last week, where our confessional faith is so often miles away from our operational faith. When we say Jesus is Lord, it's not a cute slogan. It's the banner over our life. He's Lord of everything. And I always, man, I always pray this on a weekly, maybe daily, at least multiple times a week. My prayer often is, Lord, let your lordship mean something today in my life. 
Let your lordship. So responsibility, God and government, live an exemplary life of holiness and goodness. In their day, they weren't citizens. They were marginalized. So they literally had so much on the line. Don't be crazy. Don't live extravagant. Live an exemplary life of holiness and goodness. It wasn't submission to fear the emperor. Who are they supposed to fear? Read verse 16 and 17. Fear God, but honor the emperor. How many know we are to fear one alone, God, the one who is worthy of all of our worship, affection, allegiance, appetites, all of it. And so we're to pursue a lifestyle of holiness and goodness. Number two, what are believers supposed to do? Past, present, future. Submit when not directly opposed to God's word. How many know there's many beautiful laws in our land and believers, we ought to just submit and abide by them. Things will go better. If you speed, you might get a ticket. I'm not, I'm not belaboring that. That's easy enough to understand. And there are seasons and situations when submitting to a law or an order of the land, of the government, whatever size or structure or style, when it's opposed to God's law and God's word, we do not submit to it. Just say amen. This is easy. This is, this is all surface. We understand that. And there are times, and there will probably increasingly be times, even in our own nation, where things are coming down from the top, and if they're opposed to God's law, God's wisdom, and God's counsel, we don't just say, well, the Bible says submit. There is a higher law that we submit to, and it's way higher. Listen, if we lived agape love, the law of Christ, Colossians 6, like on the way to obeying that law, we would be the best citizens of whatever country we find ourselves in. We understand how much higher the call of God on our lives is, the call and the demand of the gospel, than any government. Okay. Number three, the Bible says to very not in this passage, but Peter and Paul, they were homies, read Galatians 2, with the occasional squabble. But Brother Paul tells the young pastor Timothy, the first order of church business, pray for those in authority. In 1 Timothy 2, like if I'm like a new pastor in Ephesus, one of the most leading Roman cities in the, on the earth, I urge you, first of all, the church, pray for your leaders and those in authority. Why? Because if it goes well with them, it'll go well with you. Read all of Jeremiah 29, how to flourish in exile. It's not a big mystery that if you and I would give ourselves to that prayer and intercession, why? So that we can live good and godly lives in all quietness and peace. And in that environment of peace, people can hear the gospel. Just read all of 1 Timothy chapter 2. So what is our responsibility? To pray for those in authority and leaders. I love it. I read multiple, obviously, teachings and commentaries on this. But, and there are times when you pray against leaders. I'm, I'm, can I, we just talk to each other. We pray for those in leaders, but there are times when the church sees things in culture, trends and leanings and bents that do not align with God's counsel and wisdom, what man calls truth, and what man doesn't just call truth, but then says celebrate that truth when it's out of step with the law and ordinances and precepts of God. We pray against that as believers. Without apology, not in a mean demeaning spirit where we say no that is not in agreement with who God is and as he's revealed himself through his word in his son Jesus Christ 
So yes, we pray for leaders. That's a command that all of us probably disobey on a regular basis. It's another talk. We pray for, and there are times when we say, Lord, loose your justice. We just prayed for Afghanistan. You, you understand. Everyone doing okay? This is the government part. Number, number four, again, because we, again, participation in first century Rome, Peter's like, here's our strategy. Be super great citizens. You don't have a lot of rights or protections from Caesar. Like, don't expect, like, the next law to go in your favor. So live exemplary. Submit. Be the best citizens in whatever town or village you're in. And that still applies to us. Give me a thumbs up. But what's neat about where we live now to draw a bridge to 21st century, you and I can participate in our government and in our structure winsively and collaboratively, not just with believers, but with unbelievers for the common good, for order, for virtue, for justice and the like. Give me a thumbs up. So it's an unbelievable thing. And there are many right now that God is raising up in this land and in nations all over the earth who God's saying participate in the future and the destiny of your nation as it pertains to its laws and its structures and how it governs its people. Okay. And then number five, there will be times and yea, we are in those times where we resist respectfully. There's never a time when we're not to walk in the yoke of Jesus, in the character and conduct of Jesus, but Jesus in his full gamut of his emotions and of his agenda, of his will and his wisdom is both the sufficient lamb for our sins and the lion who knows when to roar and say enough is enough, lives are in the balance. But we do it respectfully. And the greatest example of this in my mind is Ephesians 19. The greatest revival arguably in the whole New Testament. Ephesus, the word of the God goes all over Asia Minor, modern day Turkey and likewise. And there's this huge, you know, because so many people are coming to faith that the idol makers are ticked off because it's hurting their bottom line. <laughs> Talk about revival. Woo! When it hits the economy because Christians are living Christianly. Come on somebody. That's what he wants to do in our day. But anyway... But it's evident when the, then, then obviously all of these metal workers, they, 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 they start persecuting Christians. They're like, these guys are claiming that our idols are just made by hands and the, you know, Artemis and the temple Diana. It's ruining our economy and they're diminishing the God that we all worship here in Ephesus. And I love it. There's this massive, huge, chaotic, raging, uh, help me, what's it called? Mob. And it's unbelievable that P Paul wants to go in the midst of the mob let me go, let me in, let me in. But it's so amazing, but the believers are like, dude, too valuable for the mission of God, let, no. And so they're chanting for hours, but here's what happens. The public governing officials are the ones who stop the mob. And the implication is this, you can read that whole story of Acts 19 and 20. The implication is that Paul's not just randomly tweeting how much he hates the governing authorities of Ephesus. He's not just the newest meme and the newest disrespectful, slanderous, hateful, demonic, de de demonstrative. He's not wasting his life on participating in fruitless and frivolous conversation. And because he didn't burn that bridge, because he honored those in authority, he was obviously out of agreement with them. But because of how he lived in his character, that dude spoke on his behalf. 
And so when we say resist respectfully, we will never know. We don't bow the heart or bend the knee, but there's a way to resist that doesn't have to be tit for tat, turn the other cheek. It can be different than eye for eye, tooth for tooth, which is all our culture knows. Can we just say amen to that? We feel more righteous the louder our voice, the more powerful our point, but the Lord's like, there's a way that seems right to you. And every time you walk in it, it's death in some manifestation at the end of that road. Does that mean we're sheep and just obey everything? No, we resist, but respectfully. Honor means even if you're broken and bent out of shape and your theology's jacked or you don't even have one or you claim not to have one, you still bear the image of God. Do we believe that or do we not believe it? Every person on the planet, whatever the skin color, gender, age, race, whatever, bears the mark of the divine image. Therefore, every person, no matter how jacked up their thinking is, is worthy of at least honor. It's just, that's the biblical vision of anthropology, made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. And friends, is there a time where increasingly resistance is probably going to be the lot of the church? Probably, but there's a way to do it that even when they crucify us, they see the way we suffer and they'll be the first to confess, that's the son of God. Remember the Roman soldier, surely he was the son. When your enemies are the first to realize, once you've heaped those burning coals, Revelation, Romans 12, 21, on their heads because you spent your life giving them drink when they were thirsty, food when they were hungry, they'll be the first to bow when Jesus is revealed through your humble, sacrificial love and lifestyle. Yeah, this sounds really weak, baloney. That's the strongest strength thing when he's crucified in weakness. The one who had authority to call down 10 million angels and wipe Israel off the map restrains himself because there's a greater purpose that God is working in the earth. And it had to be the lamb that was slain and slaughtered. This is the beauty of the one who we swear allegiance to. Jesus Christ is King and Messiah and Lord. For the Lord's sake, I submit. I participate where I can. I submit, I resist, I pray, and I participate, and I trust that one day the kingdoms of the world, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. Why are we able to do this? Next slide, because of the gospel and the freedom it brings. If you read the language, it's breathtaking. Right in the midst of you don't really have rights or authority, you live in an empire, you're exiles, you're marginalized, you certainly don't live in a liberal democratic society like America, uh, an amazing government that we have, as you know. But he does something in verse 16 that's so subversive. Live as free people. Come on, somebody. There is a freedom that transcends any law of any land. There is a freedom that's only found in the man Christ Jesus. (laughs) There is a freedom and a liberty that happens when a sinner falls on his or her face. 
and confesses they have nothing to bring on their end of the deal or their side of the equation. And in that confession, they receive beauty for all of their ashes. Righteousness for all of their filth. Freedom for all of their guilt. Purity for all of their darkness. And Peter's like, he's like, he's talking about big issues, but like he just laces it with these dynamic gospel realities. Live as free people. And he's like, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. We're believers. We could live under a higher law, do whatever we want. That's not the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. I mean, it's right. I'm quoting it. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. And then he says this. Use your freedom. The next part of the verse, live as servants of God. How many know in the kingdom, the way up is usually down? Give it away. Give it away. If he lifts you up, let it be him that lifts you up. Because if he's the one who lifts you up, no one can take you down. But if you lift you up, then it depends on your resources. And eventually, your account will diminish, will fail, fail. But if he lifts you up, no one can knock you off. The platform that he wants to give you. And the Lord wants to raise up people all over the earth who will carry his heart, steward his call for his sake, for his glory and our eternal good. I'm not going to rush, man. I'll do the rest next week. We're going to pause right there and talk about slaves and masters. But Romans chapter 6, my, oh, he already helped. He's controlling it from somewhere. <laughs> Let's read this on the screen together. You have been together set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Do I really have to serve God? I'm, but the benefit you reap leads to holiness and life with no shelf life. Oh. How many would say that there's something as it pertains to maybe your orientation or participation, your prayer life, your language, your attitude or whatever, just as we talk about believers and governing authorities would say the Holy Spirit's dealing with some stuff on the inside of you this morning that maybe he wants to address or shift or cleanse or reinvigorate with a fresh sense of kingdom purpose, again, just raise your hand and say, the Lord is talking to me in some way, shape, or form, just on this first section. And I want you to say, I want you to understand this. We do this for the Lord's sake. For Jesus. So I just want to wait on the Lord. Just please, you don't have to look on your, just whatever, just engage and say, Holy Spirit, search me and know me this morning. We just got through those first five verses. But... And maybe you need to repent. Maybe I need to repent for an attitude or a thought or a, a spirit that I've been walking in that is not the Spirit of God. 
And just re, let's just have a time of repentance, of for asking for forgiveness, of confession. Maybe there's been a time when you were supposed to step in, but you were too preoccupied with other things, and it's a sin of omission. You failed to step in where the Spirit said, I need you here. Confess it and receive his mercy this morning. I guarantee this applies to many. Maybe you're just skeptical and cynical because of how contested and chaotic the hour we live in has been. And you just say, Holy, you just would say, Holy Spirit, I want to just get back in the game. I just want to understand and discern what it means to participate as a citizen of the everlasting kingdom in my city, in, on the Central Coast, in the state of California, in the United States of America to participate redemptively, carrying the heart of Jesus. You would just say, Holy Spirit, break the callousness that's built up around my heart in this whole issue. And just say this prayer. Say, Father, lead me to take a step of obeying this word. God, we are asking for the poured out Holy Spirit over our land. We are at a, a threshold, an impasse, and as the church, the unique thing we have to offer the world and culture is the gift and grace of intercession. So God, we are crying out as great as the Bill of Lights Constitution, amazing as it is to be a citizen and those working on their citizenship in this country. Lord, we need you to move in power. We need a move of the fear of God, the revelation of the gospel of King Jesus. God, we need you to expose that which is crooked, depraved, wicked, vile in your eyes. We need you to expose it so that you can heal it and address it, God. There are millions who need the justice of God actualized and appropriate in their life. And as a church, Lord, we want to repent. I want to repent for failing to obey on a regular basis, 1 Timothy 2, to pray for rulers and authorities and those in government who have an almost impossible task. But Lord, it's a place that you've ordained for humanity to flourish. And so God, we pray for a move of the Holy Spirit, of the wisdom and might and counsel and justice of God over our governing authorities. We pray right now, let's zoom it in, over Santa Maria over San Luis Obispo County and Santa Barbara County. Lord, may this be a pocket of your revival presence. May people flourish when they call this place home. In the mighty name of Jesus, would you bless those who are walking, who genuinely carry your heart and concern for the people of this city and of this region. And if, God, they do not carry that heart, would you remove them in the name of Jesus? And would you raise up leaders who care for this people? In Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? Can we just thank the Lord for his word, for the gospel? And maybe this morning you would just say, Chad, I want to respond to the gospel. I just want you to put your hands out like this, like you're receiving a gift. And just say, I received the gift of Jesus' love. I received the gift of his mercy. I received the gift of his forgiveness. I received the gift of his salvation. What kind of leader has loved and led like you, Jesus? Who else has bore our sins in his body? So Lord, I pray right now that our church would experience a baptism of revelation as it pertains to the gospel and glory of our King, of our Lord, of our Master Jesus. Lord, we want to know Him. We want to love Him. We want to abide in and obey Him. We want to follow in His footsteps. His life is our life. His yoke is the one we want to carry. His word is the one we want to live out of and feast on. His agenda, his will, and his kingdom purpose is what we want to live for in the mighty name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we receive so that we can participate in your kingdom this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.